0: Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory
1: University.
0: Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast uh, brought to you by Emory Marketing Analytics Center. More content or the backbone of the show at www.fandomanalytics.com. Uh, this is Mike Lewis, and I'm joined by Doug Battle. How are you, Doug?
1: Doing well, Mike. NBA Finals are in full swing. We've got a tied-up series, which is just what you want at this point. I've got the feeling that Golden State's going to run away with it, but I've been wrong before, so we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, what, what's your sense in terms of the excitement surrounding it? Because, you know, as I said, it's it's two marquee brands. Um, one, of the, one of the top five stars in the league is uh, defined by having a Subway sandwich uh endorsement gig Jason Tatum does real well in the endorsements as well you know it, it's a it's a it's a it's a nice series uh I don't know what do you think of sort of general excitement
1: uh, from a fandom perspective I think NBA fans are eating it up and the people I've talked to that really follow the league or enjoying the series and following it pretty closely but beyond that, and we've talked about segmented audiences, I don't know that it has that broader reach that the finals used to have. I think it's, and we've talked about this before, I think it's much like the Stanley Cup at this point. I'm not saying the ratings are going to be similar, but as far as having conversation at the water cooler with your average coworker, I don't know that they're going to be familiar unless they're really a, a hardcore basketball fan. I don't think they're going to know what's going on in the series, what the performances have been like thus far. I think it's really segmented specifically for... that's a- the diehard NBA fan. That's a good
0: way to put it. I don't think the, I don't think the casual fan has showed up at all. I mean, when I've, you know, just in terms of passing, you know, the, the water cooler kind of test, and I don't know if that exists anymore, but <laughs> I, I think that's dead on. That it's not, it, it's something that is happening for the the NBA fan. You know, the the other the other story that I, the the other one that I love that I think has got a lot of attention, and this is probably not in your wheelhouse is. What's going on with the, and I don't even know how you say it, the, I think just the Live Tour or the LIV Tour, the Saudi Golf Tour and the Phil Nicholson sort of breakaway group of players, that's been sort of a fun sort of thing going on as well, that the Saudis have poured all this money into it. They've gotten some players and the PGA is fighting back. But again, I don't know that that story breaks through either. It feels like, again, everything is kind of compartmentalized. That the golf folks are worried about some of the stuff, you know, and it is it is interesting the the approach they've taken in terms of hiring top fifteen people, and that seems to be enough to build a significant enough golf audience. But again, mm. this this process of fragmentation.
1: Yep. Well, we've talked about it before. The one sports league that seems to still have a grip on society as a whole, for the most part, is the NFL. And Mike, I know this last week you released a new advanced statistic for. The NFL for, for projecting wins using quarterback data.
0: Yep. And so what we're going to do over the course of the summer is we're going to leverage this advanced statistic. And and look, advanced statistic is a funny term. Um, you know, it
1: just means statistic, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. I you know, and it's there's essentially been this kind of this growth industry of. I mean, you go back in time 20, 30 years, right? And we just had statistics but then we got into advanced statistics which were better statistics that would help organizations make improved decisions and of course this all mm-hmm. comes back to in, in the popular work press of moneyball and right. the A's discovered on-base plus slugging and then enabled them to get better valued players and it allowed a small market team with a tiny payroll to be competitive right and so since then Advanced statistics, advanced metrics—these have flowed throughout all the different leagues. Okay, I mean, there, there's almost like two things. There's like we want to come up with measures that define performance, and then you probably also need a forecasting system to predict how these measures are going to change over time. Th- this stuff is not this stuff is not easy, but it's also I, I think the revolution that has occurred is essentially it's like distributed talented people from everywhere putting their stuff out there you know, getting on with some teams, coming up with different ideas. So there's been a ton of progress in the area, but it's also sort of a complete mess. Now, I don't really want to talk about, I don't want to sort of jump completely into the the statistic I've developed is something called QB wins. And just as it sounds like the the goal of it is to figure out the contribution of quarterbacks to team performance Mm -hmm. in terms of this bottom line metric of, How many incremental wins is the quarterback's excellence or deficiencies causing the team? I I think throughout the course of the summer, we'll sort of do this in in small bites, okay? So rather than spend an entire episode digging into the statistics of this and the mechanics and the algorithms, which is going to be just too painful, we'll just sort of take it piece by piece. Okay, so a couple of things for today. And the ratings for, and we'll get to the ratings in a second, the ratings for the, over the last three years, the top and bottom performances in terms of win metrics are on the website at fandomanalytics.com. But what I do want to say to introduce this, because I, I think in some ways the bright way to introduce this is just to first put some results out there. And then over the course of the summer, we can talk more and more about some of the details. But... The, the thing I want to emphasize going into this, well, I want to emphasize two points just as we introduce the metric. So number one, what I'm doing with this QB wins thing is I'm trying to bring in more data than most of the other metrics use. Okay, so if we can, you know, if we look up, if we just pull up the NFL.com or ESPN quarterback statistics, we're going to get a lot of information on it quarterbacks right mm-hmm. doug i mean what do you look at when you evaluate a quarterback just out of
1: curiosity i think the big one now is qbr
0: okay so qbr is this advanced metric that espn put together and qbr is i'm going i'm kind of gonna defer this to a little bit later on in the summer because the way qbr works is a little bit more complicated than some of the other ones mm-hmm. um one one of the other summer that probably the classic summary statistic for the NFL quarterbacks is the NFL passer rating. Are right, you familiar with that one at least a little bit. I am.
1: Yeah, passer rating, and then the other one I think of, and this is, is about as bare bones as it gets, is touchdown to interception ratio. I don't know why. For me, I always look at that. I think Aaron Rodgers is a player that over the years he's had some some really good numbers there. It gives you a feel for how efficient is this quarterback in terms of getting the ultimate job done, scoring points without giving the ball over which is the worst case scenario as a quarterback
0: yeah you know and that's a good point right so if you look at the the way the data is presented on a lot of these websites in some ways you can pick your favorite stat you know some folks might say well i'm interested in how many yards the quarterback throws, mm-hmm. throws for right primary job of the quarterback is to move the ball so i'm going to use that other folks might say well it's all about touchdowns right the ultimate source you're taking that to ne- the next level of saying well i want to look at touchdowns successes." and interceptions, failures, and see what the ratio is there. If you look at the passer statistic, it's a complicated way of combining uh, completion percentage, Mm -hmm. so accuracy, uh, yards per catch, so how far downfield they're throwing, touchdowns, and interceptions. Mm -hmm. So it's taking what you've got and then adding up those four things in a kind of complicated way. Mm -hmm. And now, Doug, one of the problems with those kind of stats is that, well, I mean, and so very quickly, if if we just say that NFL passer statistic, and if I'm just doing this in class, very quickly people start to poke holes in it. And, you know, one of the obvious ones is, well, there should be other things in there, right? I mean, you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: How many times the guy got set? Well, yeah, Perhaps. that was the first How thing many that came yards to mind.
1: And, and, yeah, nowadays with running being such a huge part of the equation for quarterbacks, for many quarterbacks, rather, that's something that's not taken into account with that statistic.
0: Yeah. And so it ends up being limited. So is it a good summary of passer performance? Yeah. Is it limited in terms of, perform- of getting an overall quarterback performance? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, the more subtle point about it is, if you think about this, you know, the, the elements of it, so completion percentage and sort of yards per catch, are those going to be related to the number of touchdowns? Yes. I mean, they should be, right? Yeah. So the more accurate a quarterback is, the higher the completion percentage. You would think he's going to throw for more touchdowns, right? Right. So there's also going to be some form of like double counting in these
1: things. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And, and so something kind of classic like the NFL passer statistic can potentially have some issues. And so, you know, it's sort of, and I don't mean to be critical of these other metrics. But just as a starting point, when I start to create my own metric, that's where I'm getting, coming at, is maybe there's not enough information in it. There's also going to be a tendency for things to be counted maybe multiple times, right? That you, you, you got to really disentangle the, uh, you know, if you're going to use something like the pass statistic, you're sort of pretending that number of touchdowns is independent of the yards that someone's throwing for so, you know, as I go into this, a lot of the effort is to figure out what data to bring in and to potentially figure out ways to sort of clean things up and avoid double counting. Sure. Okay. And again, I don't know if, if how helpful this is as an introduction, but throughout the summer, we'll continue to talk about it. Now, the other thing I want to add to it is, well, and I, I should add this. My starting point for this is I'm actually adding a
1: lot more data.
0: I'm even including data on the team's rushing game. Mm -hmm. and data on defensive performance with the logic being that those things actually also affect quarterback statistics. I mean, that, that makes sense.
1: It does. And I think a lot of, a lot of quarterbacks, I think you see this in college football a lot. If someone's on a team that has a bad defense and they get into shootouts, they tend to rack up the yards and the touchdowns because they need to score five touchdowns every game. Whereas if someone plays on a, a great defensive team, that's a little bit more conservative offensively, they want to protect the football and hold on to their lead. They might third and fourth quarter, they might resort to running the ball mostly, and there might be less passes, less downfield throws, ultimately less yards and touchdowns. Probably not indicative of the caliber of quarterback that they have more so than the situation of the game or the caliber of defense they have.
0: But, you know, that's a better description than I can make of. But that, that captures the issue that I'm trying to get at. Exactly. Yeah. And in fact, as I was putting the, my notes together for today's episode, I realized, and again, uh, this QB win statistic that we're going to talk about and use to forecast the NFL, very much a beta version. Because, you know, I had, I had one other thought. I didn't include special team performance in the data that I used this year. Okay. So this is going to be an evolving, it's going to be an evolving process and a way of improving. And I'm going to have an effort to improve this, you know, as we, as we go on for the next couple of years.
1: Sure, I will say with special teams nowadays, the kickoff is more or less a formality because it goes out of bounds ninety percent of the time. So you're really, really dealing with punting. Yeah, uh, but, but it's, but I it's mean, still a factor.
0: Just as you're saying, I mean, if a team has a better punter and is able to pin the opposition back, mm-hmm. then maybe, maybe that ends up having the same kind of effect of defense. Right, and, and you know, you can also imagine how all the other factors come into this, like the running game. So if i got a ball control running game, then maybe I don't have to take as many chances. So it's you know, getting at the comp- bringing in all the data and then, cr- kinda, and then creating an all- algorithm to just tease apart what the quarterbacks are, uh, mm-hmm. are bringing to the table. Right. Okay, Doug. So let me give you the... And I know you've seen this, but I'm not going to make this a quiz of your memory. <laughs> so Appreciate the that. top 10 QB win scores... And as I've created this metric, I've just done it for the last three years. Number one on my list. And it's actually kind of funny because as I put this list together, COVID has been such a strange time that the guy at the top of the list, in some ways, I barely remember his season, even though it was just a couple of years ago. (laughs) The top five over the last three years, I've got Drew Brees in 2019. Mm -hmm. I think that's his final year in the league, right? Uh, Aaron Rodgers in 2020. Patrick Mahomes, 2020, Aaron Rodgers, 2021, Patrick Mahomes, 2019, and then I get into the Tom Brady in 2021, Josh Allen, 2020, Deshaun Watson, 2020, Matthew Stafford, 2019, and Lamar Jackson, 2019. Now, the okay. range for these guys, and this was interesting to me when I, you know, when I crunched through all the numbers and saw what the top QBs were actually worth. I had Drew Brees at a positive impact of 4.66 games. And so, what that means is that you almost imagine in 2019 they were playing, you know, imagine that the Saints were, the, the roster without Brees was an eight and eight team. That would move having Drew Brees versus a completely average guy, move the team to, you know, 12 and a half wins versus being eight and eight.
1: So, Uh, so the average quarterback has a quarterback win score of zero. Zero. Okay, Okay. that's that's good to know.
0: Okay, and and, you know, and and looking at this list, just give the sense of the magnitude of what the top guys are worth. Aaron Rodgers second with 4.2 win win contribution. Mahomes at three point three. Aaron Rodgers again at three point one six. So the way I'm scoring this out, the elite guys are worth about three and a half, about three and a half incremental wins. So mm-hmm. again, you take that idea of an 8-and-8 eight eight team, you add the top QB talent, and that gets you to an 11-and-a-half win, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's kind of a logic to it. Now, if you go down the list, even in the top 10, the guys at the bottom of the top 10, uh, Deshaun Watson was 2.73, Josh Allen, 2.75, Lamar Jackson, 2.7. 2-5. So, incremental contribution, two games. Uh, you know, for, a, and again, look, this is over three years. So this is truly kind of the elite talent in the league. Right. Okay, now at the bottom.
1: I'm sitting here I mean, looking, trying to see who would, who would take my Giants to the playoffs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> at the bottom of this list, and the bottom of these lists are kind of, oh, I, sh- I should add that all of this is done on a per- Per attempt, uh, per attempt issue, right? So it's mm-hmm. like I'm adjusting for how much time guys spend on the field. But the bottom five I've got were and you know, given how much time I've I've talked about the guy at the bottom of the list, it was kind of a strange uh kind of a wow moment. But I had Justin Fields, if he had played the full season for the Bears, would have been a minus five and a half win Ooh, player.
1: That's not good.
0: Followed by Zach Wilson for the Jets minus five point one wins. That doesn't surprise me. Carson Wentz in twenty twenty. I think that was Indianapolis, right? Yeah. Or what? I'm not sure. Actually, that might have been Indianapolis. I think um, it was at minus three point eight wins. And then Sam Darnold at positions four and five. So there's there's you know a lot of entries from the Jets on this. Right on this list at you know minus three and a half kind of wins. Is that second it's,
1: though? Is that with the Panthers, Panthers and Jets, Sam darn Jets in
0: twenty twenty and Panthers in twenty
1: twenty one. So here's a question, Mike: What if one of these quarterbacks takes over the zero and sixteen Detroit Lions? Do they do they win negative five games with Justin Fields?
0: <laughs> well, you know, it, oh, okay. So let let's just imagine, and I don't have it in in front of me that. Let's say that the Lions' quarterback, the the the, the, the Owen sixteen Lions' quarterback, was a minus three player. Let's just mm-hmm. you know sort of just a, as an example. Then you know, of course, there's not going to be any bottom if you get the, the worst quarterback out there.
1: You can't get worse.
0: But the thing is, if you go to an average quarterback, the league average guy, then the prediction is you're three going wins. to you're going to three wins, right? Yeah. Or, or I have, And and so that's what makes it sort of tough at the bottom of this list, right? Because most of the guys that are scoring that poorly, you kind of have to wonder why they're still getting the ball, right? Why they haven't switched out to... So let's say Justin Fields going for the Bears. And I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because we're going to talk division by division. Let's say he plays at the same level he did last year. At some point, they're going to sit him down, right? Because they can find someone... They can find a career backup that's probably a minus, you know, that might be a minus one and a half guy or a minus two guy and actually get a pretty significant improvement. So a minus five guy is not going to last long.
1: Well, I thought Justin Fields is the most interesting name on this list. Uh, Sam Darnold, Carson Wentz, those are guys that are more or less like placeholder quarterbacks. Fields is a guy, there are Bears fans that think, and maybe rightfully so, that Justin Fields is the future of the franchise a lot of bears fans i talked to last season felt like justin fields is actually good but it's our offensive line it's our wide receivers it's our defense it's our coach and the situations we're putting fields in that are contributing to his failures on the field this stat seems to indicate otherwise it seems to tell a different story
0: okay and in the background on this stat and we'll get to, we'll talk more about this as the summer progresses is I'm explicitly trying to tease apart the quarterback impact, the running game impact, and the defense impact. Mm-hmm. So when I look at the Bears last year, wasn't a bad team, just had horrendous quarterback play.
1: Mm.
0: So, you know, and again, that's kind of this these, these kind of debates of, you know, what's really driving what. And you can tell I'm almost a little leery of some of these kind of debates after all these years of doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, but the the numbers uh, the numbers aren't lying to me. I mean, is there could there be something going on that you know the Bears coaching staff, the offensive scheme, offensive coordinator, all these things yeah. were kind of they are, are sort of tough to isolate from fields. Is it possible? Yeah, but I'll tell you this, uh, Mitch Trubisky. I think, was about a minus one and a half player for the Bears. So, yeah. you know, time will tell as these things go on.
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's interesting. I mean, the, the interesting thing to me about that is you would tend to think a lot of this would be intuitive. Like, with the Giants, you know, if we added Aaron Rodgers, yeah, it seems like we'd probably win about four more games in the regular season and make the playoffs. A lot of these are real intuitive, um, so what I was really looking for was, is there anything that maybe brings in some information or brings to mind thoughts that I wouldn't normally think, and the Justin Fields one was the first first number that popped out to me that wow i was I was thinking it's the coaching or it's you know that fields is actually good, it's just he's just on a really bad team, but then the number seems to tell a different story, it at least makes you think about it.
0: Well, and I'll I'll say two things, you know, that, that that number we had for, um,
1: uh, the
0: the number we had for Brady, right. Where it shows about a two and a half win guy. Yeah. Um, Tampa Bay was seven and nine in 2019. Tom Brady arrived in 2020 and they went 11 and five. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, you know, was there some other improvement? Did he bring you know Gronkowski? Did they, they sign? K-Man, they signed AB and yeah uh, Antonio Brown. You know, were they playing a lesser schedule because they you know where they had finished in the league? Absolutely. But that's not a bad that's not a bad shift if Brady's worth three games, right? They go yeah. from seven to to about ten wins, and then maybe another win sort of falls in place from these well, you're other also a s- talent.
1: Assuming. That Jameis Winston was a zero, whereas he might have been plus one or minus one somewhere in there the year before, which also could could factor into why it was a four game difference instead of two or three.
0: And you know what? Let me look that one up
1: because I I would almost bet you that he was a minus one.
0: Jameis Winston was a minus one point two six. So one and a quarter game.
1: Nice. Yeah, there you there you have it. There you have it.
0: And and I'll I'll say this: so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to forecast each division by basically looking at quarterback. You know where the quarterbacks are in this QB win metric. If there are changes in quarterbacks, maybe some discussion about are there going to be trends with these quarterbacks? You know, because like Justin Fields was a rookie last year, so what is he? There's going to be some improvement probably in year two. Now some of that stuff gets a little little bit you know, subjective, but that that that's the approach we're gonna have. The other thing we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about the best quarterback storylines. So this is both a forecast of the, the league and also a discussion of where the NFL reporters are gonna find the both the most narrative gold as the mm-hmm. as the season progresses. The other thing I wanna note here is uh, the final entry in this in this series, I've got a table that has win forecasts from ESPN and from nfl.com. So I'll put my win forecast out against those those organizations and you can hold me to this as you know the the season's progress in terms of am I full of it am I outperforming these guys. In in some ways what I'm doing is complicated, but in terms of forecasting it's actually kind of simple where I get to the win side. So mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to me if I can essentially beat these big simulations from ESPN and the nfl.com by mostly just looking at quarterback performance.
1: Absolutely. I'm very interested to see how it plays out and it'll it'll make the season especially interesting for us.
0: Okay, Doug. So, we're going to start with the AFC East. Now, AFC? I'm going I'm, I'm going to say, you know, and I don't really know we we I don't I don't know how we should go through this stuff. But <laughs> Off the top of your head, who's the favorite in the NFC? In the sorry, in the AFC East this this coming year?
1: I'll just say this: no one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. <laughs>
0: okay, <laughs> and that is actually where I come on the come up come up with the AFC East as well, with a forecast of ten point six wins for the Jot. And, and I'm doing these forecasts in terms of Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills because as we go through the the leagues. The, the divisions and the teams. There's some there's some teams where, Doug, I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I think they might know who the quarterbacks are going to be. But there, and there's even some kind of fun mysteries out there. Well, there's some definite unknowns and some fun mysteries out there.
1: Uh, yeah, okay. but I think we know who the Bills' QB1 is going to be.
0: Yes. Okay, now Josh Allen. So 10.6 wins to potentially win the AFC East. Josh Allen is... When I talk about quarterback performance metrics metrics in class at Emory, this is the guy that I probably get the most pushback from. I think in this last year when I asked the class who the best quarterback in the league was, two names were were pushed. Mahomes and Josh Allen. Interesting. Now Josh Allen is, you know, got big money. I've got it listed here as a 258 million dollar contract. But the numbers on Allen are not, they're not, they're not great. I mean, they're solid, but they're not off the charts great. If you look at his NFL passer, it's actually pretty average at 92.2. His QBR, the ESPN metric that you mentioned, he was number six. Over the last two seasons, and remember, this is when he was one of the top 10 guys with a 2.75. I've just got him as a an average win contribution of about one and a half to 1.75 games so I put him in the non-elite category but the very solid you know very solid quarterback
1: yeah I think maybe the reason you get so much pushback is Allen's a young guy and the trajectory he's been on has been phenomenal as far as his first two years in the league, I think statistically were comparable to Daniel Jones for the Giants, for example. But year three, all of a sudden, when you go from bottom 10 quarterback to top 10 quarterback, statistically, or top 15, and, and continues to improve, a guy that when he was drafted, I think many thought, oh, it's our classic prototype, Mitch Trubisky type, he's got the body, he's got the arm, but this guy's not a real quarterback, and seeing him become quite the quarterback, you know, a guy that's that's winning playoff games, that's leading a very, very good team. And I think fan perspective is that he's on trajectory to become a Patrick Mahomes, a an Aaron Rodgers. I I think that's where people are probably coming from, but if you look at his his previous stats, there he's not there yet, at least I think, but I think that's the I think the yet is key. For, for the fan perspective, because I think there's the sense of he's becoming great, not okay. that he's already Aaron Rodgers.
0: And it's interesting that you, you know, the way you put that out there, because if we go back to 2019, I have him as a minus 1.6 quarterback. Yeah. So a, a below average guy then broke through in 2020, but my numbers say he regressed a little bit in 2021.
1: Okay. So maybe he's plateaued. Yeah. I mean, maybe, and, and you again, know, maybe this is who he is.
0: It's one of the things where you know, as I develop this and, and bring in more data, that maybe we can start to see patterns in how young players evolve. But again, I think that's going to get a little little dicey on this.
1: Mike, how does it work if someone's on a really, really good team? Like, let's say you're on a team that, with an average quarterback, they're going to win 11 games. It seems like it would be harder to... to bring in the value of three games when you're already on a team that good like the when you're already winning 11 games it's harder to to bring in a new player that's going to make you a 14 win team versus when you're a zero win team and to make a zero win team a three win team is that something that you see as a factor here with, with the stat
0: you know what doug that's great you know you you've i don't think you actually do you have a lot of stats training in college i don't think you did right I'm just in really a journalism smart. school: I'm right? just really
1: smart, Mike? <laughs> yeah,
0: no, no it, it, it's a good tu- intuition that well, a lot of what I'm doing is using a linear model to yeah. estimate the win effects, and so you're right that it, you know, if you've got a great team that's going to win 13 games, you know, can't, it doesn't it get harder and harder to get to that, that perfect season. And you know what we've seen over time in the NFL, you've you got to be right. I'm not that concerned about the issue, Doug, because especially after going through this exercise, I think there's a lot of parity in these leagues. Yeah. I really do. I mean, you know, there's so many structures in place to keep competitive balance in the NFL, the draft, the scheduling system. Salary cap. That, you know, it it, it doesn't end up being that critical of an issue. Okay, Doug, in terms of the quarterback story for the Bills, I like it. You know, it's... uh, now, it's hard for me to say that the Bills quarterback story is just what's going to happen in, happen in Buffalo, because I think we've got almost this classic matchup now of Josh Allen versus, well, the team I've got forecasted number two in that division is the New England Patriots. Mac and, Jones. So, and so suddenly we're looking at Mac Jones and Bill Belichick trying to you know get back to the top of the AFC East after buffalo gave a contract worth worth a quarter of a billion dollars i think that's really compelling stuff
1: yeah we'll have to see if mac jones can solidify himself as I, I wouldn't say elite yet but you know as a solid nfl starter um that's that's on the same trajectory that josh allen once was because if he does i absolutely think the afc east storyline the biggest storyline is going to be between those two given that their teams are 1-2 and in the AFC East. With Mac Jones, he's an interesting one to me because last year's quarterback class, he was drafted last out of that first batch of quarterbacks with Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, and Mac Jones. But he performed the best. Maybe that should be expected, given that he was drafted last and therefore had a better situation. Do you think if Justin Fields had been drafted by the Patriots that he would still be a negative 3 or whatever he was? I know that the the stat is is supposed to 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 weigh in, you know, the caliber of team that's around you, but do you feel like Patriots would have lost a couple more games? I'm trying to see what what Jones
0: So the i'm i'm hearing you and again it's like you're, you're getting it sort of my motivation for doing this in the way i did it it's like I'm, right. I'm doing everything i can to sort of tease out the effect of the rest of the team yeah now the one thing that i can't tease out is the coach right because the coach is the coach is everything right so yeah. the coach is potentially affecting the defense the running game special teams and the quarterback now looking at last year's quarterback Class. Yeah. I mean, Mac Jones was the the big winner at, and and, you know, we talked, you talked about what is the average quarterback in some ways it might be Mac Jones in his rookie season. (laughs) He had a, he was a minus 0.2 win contribution. So just, you know, definitely in the range of he didn't hurt the Patriots, but he didn't really win them any incremental games.
1: but they were excited about him. Like, I think it was a positive. I think it's interesting that because when you draft a quarterback, the hope is this guy's going to turn your team around or, or get you more wins. But for a first season, Mac Jones having a negative 0.2 wins, which is basically break even, and so, Patriots fans feel like he could be the next Brady. You know, he could be our next championship quarterback.
0: Especially given how poorly the, the rest of that rookie class performed. You know, it, it, it's kind of funny because we got this tendency now to say that Jones was unheralded even <laughs> though he was, he was a first-round pick. Um
1: he was a Heisman candidate, played on a yeah. national championship team. Yeah,
0: but again, and I look, I can't, I can't say this enough, right? I mean, the one thing I can't figure out how to overcome in all this. Well, I mean, maybe I can with more data, but the role of the coach. Mm-hmm. And so, Mac Jones with Bill Belichick. If Belichick is as smart as everyone thinks he is, is you know was largely given sort of co, you know, co uh, credit for all the Patriots run, r- run with Tom Brady. Right. Then what is Bill J- Belichick worth versus, and again, I'm going to, I think it's just too obvious to come back to, you know, urban Meyer with,
1: um, <laughs> with Trevor Lawrence,
0: right. Yeah. That, you know, is the difference between having Belichick worth two or three games of quarterback performance? It, it, Cause if it is, then those guys were sort of about a push last year
1: or two yeah. games. Okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So, Really, then, since since we can't take the coach out of the equation, it's almost a measure of coach and quarterback pairing. Yeah, at
0: this point, I think that's a that's a very. I mean, if we're being ti-
1: if we're being very technical, I mean, of course, we're we're using it as just quarterback wins, but because um, I I just I I would be interested to see like Trevor Lawrence how how would he have done, and, and of course, you can never. You but maybe never,
0: that's maybe that's a kind of a fool's errand. Maybe he can never actually separate the coach from the quarterback. Yeah. Right. I mean, and lot, maybe there are some extreme cases where, yeah, Tom Brady, it doesn't matter who his coach is because he's been doing this for so long. Well, he but, also
1: got to handpick his next coach after Belichick and it's not like Bruce Arians is some yeah. idiot. <laughs> so I, I think that Brady was fortunate to be drafted by a great coach and has been fortunate since then. But I, I think you're right. You can't separate it. And I think in you know, if, if we draw a parallel to basketball, for example, I think a lot of people look at Phil Jackson mm-hmm. and the Jordan years and, and even the Kobe Bryant years and say, well, would Phil Jackson have won championships with an average team? And would Jordan and Kobe, would they have won championships with an average coach? The bottom line is that pairing is what made it special. And I think the same can be said in the NFL with, for example, Brady Belichick. Just like uh, another NBA example would be Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich for such a long time. The dynasties tend to have that marriage between a great coach and an all-time performer at at, at a key position.
0: Yep. Okay, the the Patriots also bring up something else. And that is, and we we sort of talked a little bit about this with Justin Fields. What do you do with a rookie quarterback? Because rookie quarterbacks tend to get better. So what do you assume? So if Mac Jones was a minus point two win player, I put him out there as a I put him out there as a .75 win, uh, and this is just by eyeballing the data. It looks like rookie QBs tend to improve by about a game over okay. the when they get to their second season. So this moves, uh, you know, this puts him at almost an incremental win for the Patriots. Looking at the rest of the team as relatively average i come up with the patriots forecast for next year of 10.1 win game, 10.1 wins so within uh within you know dist- within you know like i don't know, what's the what's the word for this within uh you know they, they got a shot here mm-hmm. right a couple of things go either way and the patriots could be competitive with the bills which again i think sets up a potentially nice storyline actually a lot of storyline. doug i love the patriots going into this season <laughs> because you can have a situation where Mac Jones, the unheralded first-round draft pick, is challenging a quarter-of-a-billion-dollar contract guy, and also the Patriots and Bill Belichick has fig- found taken this unheralded guy and is back <laughs> Once again, at the top of the AFC East, Tom Brady. Right? right? The stories are easy.
1: Right, right. And it could set up, theoretically, a 10-win Patriots team. They're in the playoffs. The Bucs are going to be in the playoffs with Brady. Who's to say we don't see a, a Patriots, Buccaneers, Belichick, Brady, Super Bowl. That's, that's the dream for the NFL, I think. And it's Darth Vader versus Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> it's it's the, the dream revenge rematch of, of two old friends turned foes. I think that would be great for the league. I'll say this though with with we talked about how rookie quarterbacks tend to improve in year 2. Sometimes we do see that sophomore slump. Yep. And so things could let's say he goes from a negative 0.2 instead of to a 0.75 to a negative 0.75, maybe the Patriots take a step back this year with a sophomore slump at the quarterback position now that their opponents have more film to work on. Um and, and know the tendencies of the quarterback better or just a, a drop-off in performance one one of the two or combination of both. It'll be interesting to see with Mac Jones, but I absolutely agree with you. The Patriots are a very interesting team going into the season and definitely one I'm going to be keeping an eye on.
0: No, and it's great. After a couple of years of sort of being dormant, they might be back in they might be back in the game. And I, I think that's great for the league. Okay, Doug, at number three, we were talking about average quarterbacks <laughs> it, based on my data it doesn't get much more average than uh and you can say that uh, you're better to a talk of okay to talk of Yeah. so his last year his qb win score of minus 0.14 games so dead dead average and now it, it, it's funny the dolphins were nine and eight last year So they look to be an average team with an average quarterback. Um, They've had some improvement. I mean, you know, Tyreek Hill, obviously kind of a a big splash. When I'm doing this forecasting, to be honest with you, Doug, I'm not including things like Tyreek Hill in terms of the specifics. You know, I've got an adjustment factor for the fact that you're playing a third-place schedule, and that yeah. sort of builds in the fact that maybe you're drafting a little better, these kind of competitive balance structures that the NFL has. Yeah. But I've got the Dolphins forecast, and again, this is, shouldn't be surprising, right around where they were last year at 8.8 wins. Um, what do you think of the Tua and the Dolphins?
1: Tua's an interesting one to me because when he was in college, obviously I'm from the state of Alabama, and went to the University of Georgia, so I'm very familiar with, with Tua's college football career. He was like a deity in, in the quarterback world in college where it, like you use the word generational quarterback. Same with Justin Fields, but generational. Uh, of course, we have a generational quarterback almost every year now, which defeats the purpose of them being generational, but that's beside the point. Tua Tungavailoa was thought of as this kind of invincible, godlike quarterback, much like Tim Tebow in college. But much like Tim Tebow in the NFL, he's almost become the butt of jokes. I've seen a lot of Tua Tungavailoa slander from NFL fans Ooh. as if he's not capable and not very great. And so the, the optics on Tua have changed drastically over the years. I think it's interesting that his number is pretty average because I almost feel like he's criticized as if he's way below average maybe because the expectation was for him to be way above average.
0: Well, let me let me add one other data point to this. In 2020, yeah. he was a minus 1 guy.
1: Okay. So he's improved.
0: So he has improved, but again, you know, this game kind of improvement, question is is there any more improvement there?
1: Yeah. Is there more improvement and of course bringing in Tyreek Kill is probably a positive But looking at the Dolphins' division, I mean, with the Bills and the Patriots, I think you're right. I would have to agree with you on, I don't see them performing any better, really any worse than last season. Of course, barring injury, either for them, Tua's a pretty fragile guy and we knew this in college. My concern with him as a prospect coming into the NFL was that he wouldn't be able to stay healthy. I thought if he did stay healthy, he would have quite a good career, kind of like a Kyler Murray type career. So we'll see if he continues to improve because if he stays on the trajectory he's on, you know, he would be a plus one quarterback this year. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you're moving into, you know, this guy's a career starter in the NFL. He's going to be here for a while and the Dolphins are, are building something special. But of course, if, if things stay the same, I don't know how much longer he'll be QB1. So we'll, we will see with Tua. But nevertheless, I think the Dolphins are probably stuck in purgatory for the, for the time being.
0: Okay, and this is one of the things that I was putting this together, one of the things I, that I think I love about this focus on the quarterback and what it means is it starts to highlight some really kind of tough issues. Okay, it, it, before I get to that, the side point on all this, the Dolphins fired their coach. I suspect that that has a little bit of a disruptive effect on quarterback. Now I'm not really willing to come out and quantify that yet, but that could be something that holds Tua back a little bit in in 2022. But th- the thing that you know, as you said, if he improves by one, and I think you used the word purgatory. I-, I think that's what this metric really starts to highlight. So let's mm-hmm. say they let's say he improves by you know half a game, so he's still very much in the average range and let's say the Dolphins get a little bit better and they get a little bit better of a coach, then suddenly maybe they're winning 10 games mm-hmm. and they're going to the wild card playoff. And, you know, Tua is in year three and then he gets to year four. And then suddenly you're now in a situation where maybe you have a very average quarterback if you're looking at the data carefully, but you've been in the playoffs for a couple of years. And now that quarterback in the NFL Now wants probably 40 to 45 million dollars, but they might not be worth it, Mm -hmm. right? They might not be close to worth it. And it could put these teams in a really tough situation.
1: Yeah. And we've seen a lot of teams fold under that (laughs) situation and and give too much money to the wrong guy time and time again in the NFL. But on the flip side, you got to understand if the Dolphins were to make the playoffs, let's say the next two years with Tua as their young quarterback. And they're faced with keeping Tua around for too much money or taking on another, either young or average quarterback. It's a tough decision because you might, everything you've been building toward might fall apart, or best case scenario, you keep the status quo with a, a different guy, might not have the same upside as Tua Tongue of I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see, but I think you're right. And I think. I think my thing with Tua it gets go goes back to Josh Allen. I mentioned earlier that his first two seasons were statistically comparable to Daniel Jones. I think Tua's kind of. I think things are still in play for Tua. I think he still could be a great NFL quarterback, and that these next couple of years will make or break his career. Unfortunately, I wouldn't count on it just because of his injury history and, and how fragile of a player he is. That that's my, always been my big concern with Tua, but nevertheless, I think Dolphins fans, if they make the playoffs, you know, if they win ten games this year and make the playoffs, I think they're all aboard the the Tua train. And so, I know I, I shouldn't use a dub, double negative, but not not interesting here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not not an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, and
0: I don't think you know for whatever reason there's not much of a spotlight on the Dolphins either. Well, it's been a while since
1: they were real. Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: but, you know, usually the markets like Miami seem to get a little bit more attention, I think, because journalists like to be there. Okay, Doug, at number four in the AFC East, and this is probably an easy prediction, but I will say this, that, you know, my forecast for the Jets actually ends up, and again, my forecast is based on quarterbacks, quarterback changes, quarterback progressions. Some scores for the defense in the running game, and then also an adjustment, a statistical adjustment for the way the NFL we'll call it reversion to the mean. So the fact that you play a, a lesser schedule, you got more talent coming in, in the draft, potentially, you know, worse teams were bringing in more free agents. But I've got the Jets forecast at 7.2 wins, even with a really terrible rating of their quarterback Wilson was a minus five win guy last year goodness I'm bumping him up in the next year of minus 4.1 so with terrible quarterback play I still have the Jets you know and it's almost like you can't be that bad for that long winning seven seven games
1: I actually think the minus five for Wilson makes me realize the Jets might be a better team than I thought because that means that with an average quarterback, they would be a nine-win team last year. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty significant. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good team because you take a team like that and give them a good quarterback, a plus-three guy, yeah. and they're, they're one of the top teams in the NFL all of a sudden.
0: Well, shouldn't the – I mean, like this is how the NFL works in general. Now, we, we kind of forget about this because when we, we have teams that are sort of stuck at the bottom all the time. But the NFL is really built – for I mean you think about just the difference between hey you get the first pick in the NFL draft and you're taking the 30th guy yeah right that it really and you you play all the fourth place teams in the other di- in the division you're paired up with and you play the first place teams i mean there really are these kind of structures that should bring teams back to parity uh but you know man i mean the the New York Jets are such a tortured fan base <laughs> and after Sam Darnold with historically terrible numbers to Wilson with terrible numbers. You do almost, this makes me go, if I'm the Jets management, I'm almost starting to look at the quarterback coaching and the the you know the offensive coordinators that I've had in place is what these numbers scream out for a, a a tough look at.
1: Yeah, I'll say this. I watched one Jets game last year. I was on an airplane. It was the only football game on. So that's what I watched. Otherwise, I would never watch a Jets game. And Zach Wilson, I think he threw an interception on his first four passes of the game. It was so bad. I think they were playing the Patriots. It was, it was the single worst quarterback performance I've seen in an NFL game ever. And maybe that was just one really bad off day for Zach Wilson. But I walked away from that game saying... This guy's not an NFL quarterback. I know he's got legs. I know he's got a big arm. I've seen some impressive highlights as far as him scrambling for touchdowns, and he's kind of gutsy. But to me, it's no different than if you put Bo Nix or Johnny Manziel, any of these kind of college quarterbacks that are that same type of player on the Jets and expect them to turn the team around. It's just not going to happen. And Zach Wilson, I mean, you can't get worse than he was. I'll say that. So... It is easy to improve when you're that bad, but I have a hard time seeing the jets
0: at seven wins,
1: finding success (laughs) with him as their quarterback. I think seven wins would be success.
0: Okay. Well, and this is, I think part of the issue with this kind of forecast. So Wilson, so your, your eyeball check of saying that he was one of the worst quarterback performances you've ever seen. My data says my data driven approach says, he was one of the worst quarterback. He was the second worst quarterback performance we've seen in the league in the last three years. Yeah. So, so there, you know, we, we come together on that part of the question becomes, well, who's the jets backup quarterback. (laughs) And, you know, if Wilson is this terrible, then there's probably a backup guy. That's a minus three on that roster. And while that still isn't great. That's two more wins. What did the Jets have last year? Three? They won four games last year. You go with a career kind of backup journeyman guy, and this gets you to six games, right? Which, I, I don't know, feels respectable after a four-win season.
1: Yeah, I think for a franchise like the Jets, they want to build for more than that. And I think it's all about upside. It's kind of like in the NBA. The first pick, you can always take a guy that's a four-year starter in college who averaged 20 points a game as a senior, but he's probably going to average 10 points a game in the NBA. Or you can take a young guy who's played one season, averaged 12 points a game in college, but has the chance of averaging 25 points three years from now. I think that's Zach Wilson in the NFL. I think the Jets probably know they could win more games with the average quarterback. I think back to when my Giants had young Eli Manning, who also was pretty spectacularly bad early in his career. Um, And and they benched Kurt Warner late in his career, who was very solid. And at the time feeling like we could be winning more games. We could maybe make the playoffs if we would start the guy who would win us more games now. But the Giants front office and and coaching staff felt like we've got a quarterback who's got the upside to potentially win a Super Bowls. I don't think they felt that way about Warner at that point in his career. Of course, he ended up making a Super Bowl for the Cardinals, but it's beside the point. That you know, they felt like Manning had the upside, and they wanted to just ride with him because they would. I think in the NFL, it'd almost be better to lose all your games than to win six games with a guy that's not going to take you anywhere in the future. Because you get another high pick, and you you get another shot at drafting a, a great quarterback. So I, I think with the Jets, that's, that's probably what's going on. Is probably why they're not starting some veteran guy to to win more games in the short term.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the challenge there. And this is, you know, in in some ways I've got mixed feelings about the the marketing story or the media story because, look, it's a major market and a major market team struggling to find their quarterback of the future seems like a good one, right? The idea of if he's not developing, do they go to the backup? Do they play for a draft choice? I, I think that's relatively compelling stuff, except I feel like that's been the Jets story for a lot of years now. Right, So it, it almost feels, it's, it's almost got to feel, you know, if you're Jets management, I understand the idea of you want to find that guy that's going to get you to that next level. That fan base has got to be dealing with some real hopelessness after after Darnold and then going into uh, Wilson.
1: Yeah. Two, I think they draft purely at the quarterback position, purely based on the highlights from a pro day on one V zero <laughs> football because Sam Darnold and Zach Wilson both had on their pro day. I remember ESPN being like, you've got to see this. And it was like them on the run, rolling left, throwing right 70 yards down the field on the money. And you're like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Um, I don't know if he'll ever have to do that or need to do that. If that'll ever be useful ever in the NFL, but nevertheless, it's very impressive. And the jets get those guys. I think if they had like the equivalent of horse in football, that the, the Jets would get the guys that could make the hardest shots or, or the hardest throws in this case. Not that you ever, like in basketball, you, you don't necessarily need the best horse player to win. I'm sure there's some guy in the NBA that can make like a backward shot from full court that bounces into the goal, but that's not going to help you win games in the playoffs. And I think that's the same with the Jets, with Zach Wilson and, and uh, quarterback prior to him, Sam Darnold. Yeah.
0: Okay, so there's our forecast, our projection of Josh Allen and the Bills at the top of the division, followed by the Patriots, followed by the Dolphins with the Jets bringing up the, bringing up the bottom of the division. Uh, Doug, I'll be honest with you in terms of the media and the marketing side of this, and I always put those things together, right, because the way that you build fans is by having compelling quarterback stories and, and winning games I love the AFC East as something to cover. I mean, we, you know, Josh Allen, the big bunny sort of young gunslinger that so many fans absolutely love, put him in that elite division. Can he take the Bills to the Super Bowl? Uh, the Bill Belichick-Mac Jones combo, returning the Patriots to glory. I mean, you, you just imagine, Belichick and Jones sets up almost these cross comparisons if Tom Brady loses a few games. Yep. And then on the other end of it, you've got Tua and Wilson trying to be the long-term answers for the Dolphins and the Jets. So there's there's good stuff.
1: Yeah. And I think another storyline here that I know caught a lot of eyeballs in, in my home state last year is Tua Tungavailoa, Mac Jones, teammates in college. Tua started in front of Jones and Jalen Hurts. Jones ended up I don't know which one was higher selected, but Jones has had a little bit more success early in his career than Tua has. And now they're, they're going head-to-head. Of course, the commentators are going to talk about how they used to practice against one another, and on. or Jones was on the scout team while Tua was starting or whatnot back, back in the Alabama days. But that's another—if if for some reason, if something were to happen to Josh Allen, if somehow this division came down to Patriots versus Dolphins— it's still a fascinating storyline because you've got two quarterbacks that played against or that played on the same team in college, both Heisman candidates, both won national championships, both starting in the same division and competing against each other at least twice a year in the NFL. It doesn't get much better than that from a storyline perspective, especially when that's when that's your second best story in the division.
0: And the, the worst story in the division is a struggling quarterback for the Jets. Yes, easily.
1: (laughs) Easily, easily.
0: Okay, Doug, so we'll wrap it there. Uh, Next week, we'll uh, continue to dig in. We'll uh, spend a little bit more time talking about the statistic, the QB win statistic, and then we'll dig in deeply with the AFC North, which, um, just as a little bit of preview, might be the only division with a better set of quarterback stories than the AFC East.
1: Excellent. I'm looking forward to it, Mike and Mike. I'm looking forward to seeing how successful your projections are against ESPN and the likes, because I have a feeling you're, you're you're onto something here.
0: You know what? that's going to be my favorite and that's the worst thing about doing this kind of exercise i can hardly wait to see how i do compared to that. <laughs> but it takes so long to to play out yeah um, more content so the the whole article and all the ratings and the the top 10 players this is all at the www.fandomanalytics.com site so let's wrap it there